Welcome to Soft Landing, the podcast that makes interior design accessible to everyone. Hey guys, I'm Amy. I'm an interior designer, artist, and space planner. I'm here to talk about everything you need to know about interior design, from furniture to finances. I'm sharing over a decade of experience to help you find real design solutions and craft the space of your dreams. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in today. There are so many basic design principles that I love talking about, and once you get a clear understanding of each one, it's so easy to implement them in your home. These are big, bang-for-your-buck, super impactful design strategies that completely change the way your home looks and functions. So many of these design principles do not require you to go out and purchase anything. Interior design and consumerism are two separate concepts. Just like the fashion industry has been completely dominated by this idea of buying new things all the time and keeping up with the trends, interior design has fallen into that trap as well. But this podcast is here to give you, my beautiful homemaker, space maker, creator, all the information you could possibly want to transform the space that you have working with the tool palette that's already in your home. I talk about all of the major design principles in the episode called Free Your Mind, and I wanted to take a deeper dive into some of those topics, starting with today. We are going to look at different ways to use both symmetry and asymmetry in your home to achieve balance. We're going to talk about when you use either strategy, why they work or don't, and how this major design principle can help your whole home look designed, elegant, intentional, and have that je ne sais quoi that just works. But first, let's talk about the color of the week. It goes without saying, this has been a hard week for human rights in the United States. With Roe versus Wade being overturned, emotions are high and many people didn't see this coming, which can create a true feeling of helplessness. But we are not helpless and there is an entire industry of reproductive health care that has been preparing for this moment for decades. There are so many funds and nonprofits that provide resources, safety, and information to the general public about women's health care, and they need our help. Today, we are celebrating one of the most prevalent institutions in this space, Planned Parenthood, and their signature blue, which has changed over the years. While often opting for a lighter, more aqua shade, the present logo uses Pantone 280, an anchored navy blue which often evokes a sense of history. And rightfully so, Planned Parenthood has been around since 1916, 105 years as of the time of this episode's publishing. The great thing about navy blue just like destroying the patriarchy, is it goes with everything. So feel free to use it liberally in your home. In fact, you can have a full navy blue home and it will still feel balanced, anchored, and well-designed. Reproductive rights are a cornerstone of human rights and quality of life 
for everyone. This affects us all, childbearing or not, and we will keep pushing forward for what is right by volunteering our time, talents, and knowledge to further institutions like Planned Parenthood to keep abortion safe and legal. This episode is brought to you by Soft Landing Studio. If you enjoy this podcast and want to take your space to the next level, you can book a virtual appointment with me to review your home, office, or retail project. Whether you want a quick brainstorming session, a series of regular check-ins during your renovation, or to work with my full interior design services. We will talk through all your interior design goals, dreams, and aspirations, and give you a roadmap to get there. Go to www.softlandingstudio.com to schedule your experience now. And while you're there, don't forget to download the absolutely free guide to getting started. This fun-filled PDF quiz will orient you at the very beginning of your interior design journey. If you know you aren't 100% happy in your space, but you don't know what to do about it, this guide is for you. You will be directed towards big idea solutions, so you'll know what to do, and most importantly, what to avoid. Go to www.softlandingstudio.com for your free copy today. I've had a handful of students who seem to have developed very strong opinions about symmetry versus asymmetry very early on in their education. And I'm always trying to push them away from being so clingy to one or the other because the truth is is both strategies can work. It's all about assessing the current situation and deciding which tactic will provide the best sense of balance in the room. Read the room, as they say. Let's take a quick lexicon break as a point of clarity to define symmetry and asymmetry. Symmetrical designs follow an invisible line, often one that runs right down the center, where one side of the composition is reflected across that invisible line. So anything done on the left side of the invisible center line is repeated and mirrored on the right side of the invisible line. So think about the wings of a butterfly. Asymmetry is the absence of this invisible line. Anything that is organic or natural in its composition is typically asymmetrical. Asymmetry doesn't mean there is a lack of structure. It just means that the balance of the composition is not based on a center line. So rather than being two equal halves, there are thirds or fifths or even two unequal halves. Interior designers are always working with a set of givens or things that we can't change. Whether it's the location of the windows, the placement of structural elements like columns and beams, existing electrical and infrastructure thresholds, and even on budget projects it can be as simple as the placement of a door. Asymmetry is so present all around us. It's part of nature. Buildings are often asymmetrical to accommodate landscape and topography. And oftentimes, the outside of a building might be designed to be fairly symmetrical, but then the interior rooms end up being asymmetrical in order to support that exterior. Falling water, one of the most 
famous houses in the world is completely asymmetrical in order to celebrate the beautiful body of water adjacent to it. Home layouts today are rarely symmetrical unless you live in a Thomas Jefferson-inspired home whose Monticello homestead took precedent from Palladian architecture. Andrea Palladio wrote the four books on architecture, which outline a set of so-called rules based on ancient Greek and Roman architectural principles. Now, listen closely because this is the key. Jeffersonian, Palladian, Greek, and Roman are all mathematical-based design concepts. Each size, proportion, and placement ties back to a number or formula, and that is exactly why symmetry is associated with these styles. Symmetry is based on a reflection, therefore it fits into a mathematical design concept. It can be measured, controlled, and predicted. This design philosophy gained a lot of traction throughout history because it ensured consistency between buildings and also purported to be the answer when it came to architectural styles that look good. There's often a desire for the answer with design, and the actual answer is it's completely subjective, which hardly anyone appreciates hearing, and clients, friends, family, and students alike respond so much better to sweeping, oversimplifying answers like, it has to be symmetrical, or never use these two colors together. In the case of symmetry, following a fixed math equation to figure out what your room should look like sounds a lot easier than bringing in intuitive creativity. Not always the case with asymmetry, which often evokes mystery, nature, and wild powers that be. Asymmetry came into popular use in the late 1800s as a rebellion against the strict mathematical rules of neoclassical and traditional architecture. Asymmetry allowed for mimicry of nature and experimentation. The histories of both approaches still play a role in their perceived vibes today. Let's look at how this shakes out. Symmetry can help a room feel very organized and pulled together, and for many, it's easier to create because its rules are so straightforward. What is done on one side of the room is flipped and done again on the other side of the room. A table to the left of the sofa and a table to the right. A lamp on both sides of the bed. A door in between two twin windows. Symmetry can feel like a unifying design move, especially when your home is lacking order and you want a system to tie everything together. But that doesn't mean that everything in your house will be a matching set. You can have a collection of eclectic furniture and still arrange it in a symmetrical fashion. It all begins with identifying the line of symmetry. This is the most integral part of the furniture arranging process if you're doing a symmetrical layout. You can create your own line of symmetry or use one that already exists within the room's architecture. Common architectural elements that naturally find themselves in the central area of a room include fireplaces, pairs of windows, picture windows, and sometimes doors. 
If you don't have any of these elements in your room or they are off center and therefore not a good anchoring point for our line of symmetry, you can choose your own. Find the center of the room and decide if your line of symmetry will go from side to side or front to back or both. The most common anchoring point for a line of symmetry in living rooms that I see is the television. And I get it. We all want to be able to see the TV, but the idea that an entire room is based around an electronic device can be a little limiting. So consider alternatives. You may even say your sofa is the anchoring point and run the line of symmetry straight down the middle, cutting the sofa in half. The line of symmetry is our north star in terms of laying out the space and where you place furniture, art, and other objects. If it's helpful, you can lay down a line of masking tape as you're laying things out. Anything that happens on one side of the line should repeat but flipped on the other side of the line. If your room is naturally asymmetrical, you can consider forcing symmetry onto it. A great example of this is a bedroom I saw by designer Ania White. Her client had a bedroom with one small window over to the far side of the bedroom. White then covered that window with a long sheer curtain and added a second long sheer curtain on the opposite side of the room even though there wasn't a window there. Then she placed the bed in between the two long sheer curtains. At first glance, you would think that it was just set up that way on purpose and not at all an optical illusion. It made an awkward room feel stately and purposeful, but it's important to be careful with this strategy on your own because it can cause us to create elements that take up space and are extraneous. So keep your balancing elements limited to wall treatments, paint colors, and window treatments. This will always have a more traditional look to it, symmetry that is, but like I said, if you have an eclectic or really bold mix of furniture, arranging it in a symmetrical way can balance it out. So you've got the structure of symmetry and the eclectic menagerie of your furniture collection. In this case, the symmetry is happening with the placement of the furniture, but not the styles and color. And that's where we start to have fun in that area of not quite perfect. However, if you want to break out of the traditional bubble and have a little bit more of a modern creative room design, it's worth considering asymmetry. Asymmetry can work whether the room's architecture is symmetrical or asymmetrical, but it can be really beautiful to play up the natural asymmetry of a room. And asymmetry is very common in a single room's layout. For instance, it's very unusual for a kitchen to be truly symmetrical, just due to the nature of the appliances it needs to house. Unless you're going to have two refrigerators and two stoves, the layout will naturally feel asymmetrical in your kitchen, and that is not a bad thing. The way I often go about planning an asymmetrical space is to first decide what, again, my anchor point is. Maybe it's a sectional L-shaped sofa, which is a naturally asymmetrical item, or maybe it's a little stained glass accent window in an old house. 
This is the element I want everyone's eye to go to when they enter the room. From there, rather than mirroring everything around the anchor object, the focus is creating little clusters of supporting elements, none of which come close to the size or shape of the anchor. I like to think of it as creating little constellations around the room. All the major elements are unique in size, but they're all dancing to the same tune. I know, it's a little more abstract than symmetry. Another way to think of it is if you have a ball of clay, dividing that clay into two equal halves is effectively symmetry. Asymmetry is taking that same clay and dividing it up so that no two parts are equal, but you still have the same total amount of clay and you want to be able to distinguish each piece from the other, so you don't want any two pieces to look too much alike. You might have a large, medium, and small piece, for instance. The key to successful asymmetrical compositions is to have distinct contrast between the different pieces. So that may look like having one large section of a room be more neutral and a smaller section with lots of color and pop to it. The very idea of an accent wall can be a balancing technique in an asymmetrical room. The important thing to remember is the different asymmetrical sections should never be too similar to each other. Then it just looks like we tried for symmetry and missed. When you're going for asymmetry, contrast is your best friend. Another way to compose an asymmetrical space is to think of it as a series of symmetrical clusters. So rather than one big room being treated as a full composition, you could have three or four lines of symmetry going in different directions, and maybe one is even at a 45 degree angle. And each of these clustered configurations hold their own symmetry, but relate to each other in an asymmetrical way. Asymmetry is particularly powerful if you want to exaggerate a minimalist design. A room that is minimalist and symmetrical will end up looking cold. So in that case, composing the room asymmetrically will create a more dynamic and interesting experience especially if the furniture and materials you are working with are fairly plain. This is super common in the office design world where furniture, carpets, paints, it's all pretty solid and straightforward. So creating an asymmetrical layout can help add a level of visual interest. Not to say that asymmetry and maximalist style can't work well together, but in order to achieve true balance within that mix, you'll need to consider grouping things together by color or some other organizing principle that will help to provide a little order. Now, this is usually the part of the show where I ask you if you have a favorite from today's topic, but I want to urge you, Playing favorites with symmetry and asymmetry is a game where no one wins. It's all about using either strategy based on the furniture and architecture you're working with. And if you feel yourself prone to one or the other, I would encourage you to try arranging one room in your home with the method that feels less comfortable. You might be surprised how well it opens up your space. I hope you're taking awesome care of yourself, and I will talk to you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.